This is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society from politics to pop culture and beyond. And today, Good Faith Fam, we have with us just, I mean, an absolute visionary. He's the founder of The Bible Project, one of the coolest initiatives out there teaching people about the Bible through animation, podcasts, all sorts of amazing visual techniques. With, at this point, over like 100 million views across platforms, it's just extraordinary. Uh, He's the amazing John Collins, and we're going to talk about the visual element of teaching biblical texts and concepts and all other sorts of good stuff. But first, let me set the stage. So... We've been talking the last few weeks about the book of Exodus, and so far we've covered, you know, all the most famous stories, you know, the ones people make movies about, the escape from Egypt, splitting the sea, the revelation at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. But today we're transitioning to, I guess, like the B-side of Exodus, right? So the building of the tabernacle, which was the precursor to the temple that eventually gets built years later by King Solomon. And perhaps the biggest question you can ask about the book of Exodus is, well, like, why the heck is all this stuff in the same book? Like, honestly, if I'm making a gritty TV drama about all this, so the Exodus from Egypt, that's an entire season unto itself. That's season one. And honestly, so is all the drama surrounding Sinai. That's season two. And maybe if the show gets three seasons, we get to building the tabernacle. But like, why shove all this stuff into the same book? So the answer, I think, lies in understanding that From a sensory perspective, the book of Exodus is a huge outlier among the five books of Moses because the other books are built around hearing and listening. In Genesis, it's parents speaking to their children. It's humans listening or not listening to God. In Deuteronomy, one of the Hebrew verbs that appears again and again is Shema or listen. And Leviticus, well, that book's literally just one long speech from God to Moses, almost from beginning to end. But Exodus is a book that's all about seeing. It's all about the visual experience of God, and the book's entire structure is actually organized around seeing. So the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 18, is all about the visual spectacle of destruction. God emphasizes over and over again how important it is for the Israelites to remember what they saw during the Exodus. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, God says. And then comes the middle of the book, chapters like 19 through 24, and this is where the people who flee the destroyed society, the Israelites, are introduced to the God who saved them at Mount Sinai. And the experience of Mount Sinai is relentlessly visual. It's a huge visual spectacle, so much so that the Bible actually even uses verbs for seeing in this context where they never would make sense otherwise. So for example, Exodus chapter 20 says the the Israelites roim et hakolot in Hebrew, which means they saw the thunder at Mount Sinai that accompanied God's presence. And of course, thunder, famously not a thing you can see. So after seeing utter destruction in the first half of the book and seeing the God who carried out that destruction smack in the middle of the book. So what should the Israelites have concluded from all the things that they'd seen? Well, perhaps that their God was one who valued destruction, perhaps. And that's why we need the second half of the book of Exodus, because chapters 25 through 40 begin with God's command to the people not to destroy something, but to actually build something, a temple. And the Bible then spends chapters upon chapters upon chapters describing exactly how the tabernacle look, mentioning the artists who designed it, talking about all the beautiful materials that went into making it, because After witnessing all the destruction in the first half of the book, the Israelites and we, the readers of the Bible today, needed to learn that even more wondrous than the destruction of evil 
is the experience of seeing the construction of something good. So to unpack all of this and to talk about how to use visual experience, how to use art, how to use aesthetics in creating something good and bringing the wisdom of Hebraic civilization out into the world, I brought on the, I mean, like literal world expert on the topic. He's one of the founders of the Bible Project, which is amazing, and he's the visionary behind its visual storytelling. He's John Collins. John, thanks so much for being here. Ari, that was a wonderful introduction. And the amazing John Collins, I like that. I'll share that with Spider-Man. I'm glad to do that. Trademark it, my man. <laughs> that was my best impression of a Bible Project video. So <laughs> the guy... <laughs> oh, that was a good, totally. I could see the visuals as you were going. I'll send in my audition tape. It's good. <laughs> so the work you guys do is just so deeply impressive. I'm obsessed with it. But how did you get into the field of <laughs> like biblical explainer videos, like Vox for the Bible, right? Like you come from a corporate marketing background, right? So or at least you're not coming from like the clergy or something like that. So how did you get from there to the Bible project? I, early in life, was thinking about going into the clergy or in my spiritual tra tradition just meant being a pastor. But in my early 20s, gave up on that idea and decided I wanted to make documentary films. That was the impulse that I wanted to chase down. And that got me into the world of explainer videos, which is a new thing. This is kind of like mid-2000s. And then I started making explainer videos, mostly for corporate clients, and developed the craft of explaining complicated ideas visually. And so a lot of tech companies, a lot back then, it was a lot about cloud computing. Um, how do you explain an abstract idea like the cloud, and uh, found that these, these videos were really effective at explaining complicated ideas, doing it quickly, doing it in a way that's very shareable, but I think most importantly, doing it in a way that really helps you reframe the way you think about something quickly, like have a paradigm shift, have this like epiphany moment where you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was what was going on, and now I can't see it. So I just found it a super powerful medium and thought it would be great to apply back to an earlier obsession in life, which was trying to understand the Bible. So uh, that's actually where I want to go next, because the Bible, pretty decently known text, right? People know about it, but it's a text, right? And at least, or at least that's how people experience it today, primarily, like that you'll buy it in book form. So what does visual storytelling allow you to do in teaching the Bible that you couldn't do otherwise? Or what does it allow you to do better? Yeah, so the Bible is words, but then those words together create literature. And the way that biblical literature works is that there's a lot of design in it from the way that it's structured, but then also the words that are used and how those words kind of activate ideas, themes. And so there's this kind of complex world under the text and the visual medium actually really helps you begin to interface with that complex world of ideas under the text. Now, a lot of storytellers have gone and done Bible stories on, on the screen, especially in Exodus, like you mentioned. There's all sorts of movies about that epic showdown with Moses and Pharaoh. And There's an old school Richard Gere one where he plays King David, I think, right? Yeah, and I'm not even familiar with those older ones. But yeah, I mean, they've been done so many times. And Pharaoh ones, yeah, there's David ones. And there's something about trying to adapt the literature of the Bible to a screen in a cinematic way, which actually gets really hard and problematic. But doing it in this explainer world way where you can talk about things or visualize things abstractly or 
try to visualize it the way it might have actually looked. Um, and then you can go in between. You can take an idea and turn that idea into a visual and then watch that idea move around and, and interact with other ideas. It really lends itself to be able to start to appreciate the artistry of the Bible. And I, I feel like the, the visual and, and audio element, it's so much more true to how the Bible itself says that it should be taught, right? So like the idea of the Bible as a text, something that you primarily read uh, is important, but it develops later, right? In the Bible itself, it's much more about passing wisdom and tradition down from parent to child, from teacher to student. It's much more performing the Bible than reading the Bible. So that really resonates with me with respect to what the Bible project is. It's a storytelling element as opposed to like a didactic professor standing in front of the class in front of lecturing. You know what I mean? Yeah, because these stories are meant to shape our imagination and then shape the way that we view ourselves and the world and form our character. And that is done more powerfully, yeah, through interacting with it visually and emotionally and auditorially. And then, yeah, famously, these texts were meant to be read aloud to each other. In my spiritual tradition growing up, we were told to go like have our quiet time. You sit down with the Bible and you read it quietly with a cup of tea and try to find your, you know, inspirational verse of the day. But yeah, these these were texts that were performed. I love that. Performed out loud as a community. I love it. So so I want to get into some of the ideas, but can you take me through like the process at the Bible Project? So how does a video get made, right? And on the artistic side, which is your expertise, how do you approach the challenge of taking words on a page and turning them into a visual story? Right. So our process always begins with me just having a dialogue with the co-founder of Bible Project. He's a PhD in biblical studies. You know, he the reason why I did this project with him was I really wanted an opportunity to try to understand the Bible through this medium, but I needed a guide. And he was a guy who, when I have questions, he never makes me feel stupid. But I think even more so, he helps me ask better questions. Because usually my questions come from my cultural time and place and my, like, you know, the spiritual tradition that I have and all of that. And the Bible has more interesting questions oftentimes than my questions. And then has kind of helped me appreciate that the Bible is literary art, which is something I never learned. So him and I have discussions. He brings all of his notes. We just talk through it. Um, and we talk for hours until I feel like I get it enough then that we can go and, and write a script. So the first, it just begins with dialogue. And then that actually was why we started writing our scripts in the form of dialogue. So um, in most of our videos, it's kind of this teacher-student interaction. I was going to ask about that. It's, it's my favorite part of the videos. Like, it's actually like two people studying together. It's so cool. Yeah. And it kind of invites you as the viewer to then be a part of a dialogue. And um, I get to ask the questions that we're all thinking, hopefully, and kind of alley-oop Tim for some slam dunks. And so uh, we write a script collaboratively, and then we bring that script to our artists, and we begin to talk about the visuals that we kind of are anticipating. The next stage is that they go and actually storyboard it out. And storyboarding is you just a real rough thumbnail sketch of like every key moment in the video. 
And during the storyboard process, and you're visualizing the ideas that you were just talking about, it really refines the script. It helps you realize like, oh, we were being way too redundant about this thing, or this thing actually is way more complicated than we realized, or this is a dumb way of trying to explain this. And so that all kind of illuminates, and then we rewrite, and then we re-storyboard. And at some point, the two kind of magically come together in this beautiful way. And once that's done, it's all about deciding what is the visual aesthetic that we're gonna use in that video. Um, that's visual development is the kind of industry term for that. So defining that and then just going to town, drawing every frame and, and animating it. You know, it sounds like the process is you kind of understand the text, the ideas, and then you go to the storyboard. Have you ever had the experience of working on the artistic side of it or working on the storyboard side of it where all of a sudden now you feel like you come back with more questions about the text itself? Or like where where this where like the artistic process has has generated insights before you think about the text. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's never before we think about it, but it will often come back and require us to be more careful about how we're talking about something, or even make us realize that maybe we're talking about it in the wrong way, and we need to think of a different metaphor, different language. So that does often happen. You know, we just did a whole series of videos on, it's called the Royal Priest series, and it traces the, we call it a theme. Yeah, and so there's this kind of like table of contents, essentially, of how the whole series works together. And it's this um, circle going from the Garden of Eden back to the Garden of Eden. And, you know, you were talking about the tabernacle and how designed it is. You know, like a lot of that design is about reminding you of the garden, and which was the first, the first temple. And so the whole idea was, you know, we were exiled from the, the, the presence of God, the temple, and now here's an opportunity for it to come back in our midst. But there's this hope, this prophetic hope, that then that will happen again for all creation. And so that kind of like table of contents actually helped us think about how the series would be designed. So I kind of thought of that visual and that helped us come back and kind of rewrite and reform how we were gonna go about writing the whole series. That's amazing. So that actually is a good good place to transition because the Bible project is like a Christian project, right? It's a particular approach to reading the Bible such that, you know, your videos will come to conclusions that are different than those that I might come to as a Jewish thinker and reader. And I've had that experience, you know, often with with your stuff, not not all of it, but sometimes. But one thing that I think and it's it's really what keeps me coming back again and again and again. One of the things I think is so absolutely fascinating and really exciting about the Bible project is how seriously you guys take the idea that the world of the Bible is a Hebraic one and the Bible itself needs to be understood in kind of its Hebrew context, right? So how did you guys come to that and why was that important for you? Well, that was, you know, something that Tim really discovered through his studies and through his mentors. And it's interesting that that has been forgotten in so many Christian traditions. It's just become this westernized document. Right, like, did you have that growing up at all? I was taught that the Bible was like a, um, like a reference book. It's this divine reference book 
that I could actually go and just sit down, like I said, with my cup of tea and open up and it'll like, I'll just get it and it'll speak to me. In fact, I mean, this is how it worked. We were given like the answer sheet. Here's the answer sheet to all of life questions. The most important one is like, are you going to heaven? That was like our obsession, right? And here's the answer sheet. Now go read the Bible and find these answers. And so, you know, some people were good at that. And I just got so frustrated and tired of it that I just started giving up on the Bible. And it wasn't until with this project and with Tim showing me, one, this is Hebraic literature, like you said, this is Second Temple Jewish literature, and it works in a very different way than other types of literature. And it's beautiful on its own terms. And we have to learn to read it on its own terms. And um, that's been such a fun project because it's no longer coming to the Bible as a rule book or like a theological dictionary. It's coming to the Bible as literary art. And it's, yeah, it's fun. It's captivating. That's amazing. I mean, so one of the other cool things that kind of emerges from that is once you start to think about the Bible in kind of this like Hebraic context, so all of a sudden you guys start to put out videos on things that I guess growing up the way I grew up, you know, like I kind of find intuitive to think about and talk about. But when you think about the Bible in the popular imagination or in the conventional wisdom, you so infrequently hear people talk about like the biblical Sabbath, right? Or concepts like holiness. And you've done videos on all of that kind of stuff. And you mentioned some before, you've done videos on priests and temples and all that kind of stuff. So of the videos that, that you've worked on, what are some of the concepts where you're like, man, I never would have thought about bringing this into my own experience of what the Bible has to teach, and now I feel richer for it? I think the biggest one is the concept of being God's image. To me, was always, I mean, I, it's there, you know, in the very beginning of the Bible, God created man in his image, male and female, he created them in his image. And for me, that was always about humans are special in some way. And I thought maybe special because unlike other animals, we can reason and build cool things. And so that makes us God's image. What I didn't see was this rich theological idea of being God's representatives, that humanity was made. I mean, that word image is the word for idol, Selim in Hebrew. Yeah, Selim. He said, do, you know, famously, don't make idols. And here we are on like, you know, the second, the first story in the Bible, and he's made an idol. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's us, it's humans. And actually, you know, my spiritual tradition is, you know, man, humans suck. And so we should be grateful that God puts up with us. And it's true, we could be pretty horrible, right? But the actual story begins with God, like appointing us to a pretty royal task, which is to represent his rule. And being the image there immediately is defined as ruling, subdue the earth and rule. And that's what God wants to do with humanity, is he wants us to know how to actually like represent his rule here on this flying space rock. And then of course we do it so poorly. <laughs> but like I, like I mentioned, we were obsessed with the question, how do I go to heaven when I die? And then realizing that the Bible's more interested in the question of how do I image God as a human? And that has been, yeah, the biggest thing for me. I wrote about this, I can't, like, it was a while ago, but just in terms of, like, the visual arts, right? So if you contrast, you know, epic fantasy with comic books, right? So we usually think of, like, Tolkien, Narnia, all that kind of stuff. It's, like, so big and ambitious. And comic books are just, like, kind of, like, pop art. But at the same time, another way to think about it is you know, epic fantasy is about just 
kind of giving up on our world and imagining a different world as it might as it might be right and oftentimes it's like set in the past right because that's the one place he can't go right but comic books to me were all about reimagining the world that we live in uh as it as it might be or as we might be able to make it right so like I've said this on a previous episode, but like Spider-Man lives in like Forest Hills, <laughs> like he lives like in Queens, like like I grew up like 20 minutes from Spider-Man. Right. So like I, the idea of saying that our task is actually to bring heaven down to earth is deeply biblical. And and I think that's what you're saying just so speaks to me. But actually speaking of that, so the style of the Bible project is one that now I feel like, even if I didn't know it was a Bible Project video or I didn't see like the cool little graphic at the beginning of the video, I'd be able to recognize it because it's like it's like a very particular style. So artistically, growing up or, or now, like what are some of the like there, I feel like we're in such a golden age of like animation and visual art, whether it's like you could think of like the most rudimentary style like Archer. You could think of something weird like BoJack Horseman. Like what are some of the things that you think about that you're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. You know, I grew up kind of sheltered from a lot of pop culture. Same, I was a PBS kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but for whatever My reason- My parents listen to this podcast, so shout <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, for good or bad. The Batman had this this series on Batman's my favorite. The animated series. The animated series, man. It was my favorite. It's so good and it's dark and it's just so wonderful. That captured my imagination in a way that was pretty deep. Um, I also just love Batman. I love Spider-Man. I love imagining like just flying around a city, you know, like just the freedom of that. Oftentimes when I was bored, like in church, I would just kind of imagine myself like being a Spider-Man, like in the room. But Batman, like he, he's just this gritty, just like normal dude who just has <laughs> some cool tools. But anyways, um, that <laughs> series was, was great. When I was in my, I think I was... 18 or 19 when like Matrix came out and then, well, and the first, the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire and both those movies were very formative for me. I, um, you can't be a Christian without obsessing about Tolkien. <laughs> hey, <-o. laughs> um, and so all his, his books and then later in life, those stories visually. Yeah. were some as well. I love it. So, one important way, I guess, to think about the challenges that our society faces is that we have like a loneliness problem, right? So people of all ages, especially the elderly, are more likely to live alone. Rates of depression are up. Political polarization and polarization by income or education means that like just at a basic statistical level, like you just have fewer people you can potentially socialize with. And often when people talk about an American or Western loneliness epidemic and what we can do to address it, the solutions are very like outcomes oriented, Right. So how do we make fewer people lonely? And I feel like much less attention is paid to the why of it all. Right. So how did we get here? And I think an enormous component of the problem is that we've stopped sharing stories together. And in the U.S., that common story has so often or for the vast majority of our history, it's been the Bible. Right. So. John Adams and Benjamin Franklin proposed the original seal of the United States as Moses splitting the sea and, and 
you know, holding his rod out. Oh, I didn't know that. It's like a really cool Benjamin Franklin's notes from, or rather John Adams notes from that session. It's little people don't realize this. So like in the morning of July 4th, 1776, all of those guys are in the room signing the Declaration of Independence. That afternoon, they were working on the seal. It's pretty cool. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah. And then you could think of like Washington's most quoted line in all of his speeches is like a verse from Micah. Like every man shall sit under his own vine and fig tree. You know, Frederick Douglass talking about using the story of Noah to explain the, the rise of the Second American Republic in the wake of the Civil War. Like, just read Lincoln's second inaugural. It's just scriptural quotations, right? Martin Luther King Jr. just quoting Moses every single day that he's out there fighting for civil rights. These are kind of the stories that bound us together. And you could go back even before the American founding. So to what extent is, in that respect, is the Bible project almost like a civic project, a way of kind of reminding us that we actually do or can have stories that bind us together. Like, how do you guys think about the social impact of the Bible Project? Yeah, it's interesting. We, at one point, had as part of our mission statement to contribute to shalom in the world. I love it. Yeah. What a rich, beautiful word, shalom, of complete wholeness and peace. Because we do have this belief that these stories are meant to shape us and help us learn to be people who practice justice and righteousness and um, and create whole communities. But we've realized that it's probably not our place to then go and tell people practically what that means. And so we've taken a step back from that. Not that we don't believe that these stories, this literature does that for that purpose. That is the purpose. If it doesn't do that, then for us, we think that, you know, we're not here just to be entertained. But so many different traditions have their own views on how to do it. And we, we're we trying to figure out how do we be unifying and how do we then just kind of stop where we can present the literature as we think it's working and then let people take it from there. So yes, we want to contribute to Shalom in the world. I'd love to see that happen, but we haven't done anything really practically to that end. That's beautiful. And it actually leads me kind of to my last question, which is, so the Bible Project has just taken off. I mean, it's it, you guys have so many followers, it's so many views, so many people love it, and it's just such a testament to the incredible work that you guys do. But were you surprised by the audience that you guys have generated? Because it's truly massive. Y yeah, totally surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I. I'm surprised at the impact for sure. With my experience with explainer videos is that those can go pretty wide. My experience was if you make the right video that hits the nerve and it explains the thing everyone's wanting to understand, then the internet is as such that it will get shared and it will be watched. And so I kind of went into it kind of expecting that some of the stuff we made will get shared pretty widely. But the, the amount of support and enthusiasm is, yeah, blowing me away. And I think it speaks to how much people actually really want. People really want to engage the Bible at a deeper level. And a lot of people really believe it's important. And a lot of people really struggle with it because the cookies aren't on the bottom shelf. But people are captivated by it for whatever reason. And there's a bunch of different reasons. And so what better piece of literature to work with to put yourself in a position to have a bunch of fans, I suppose. But yeah, <laughs> we've been completely overwhelmed with the amount of actual support. And so it's been really fun. There's really no better place to leave it than that. 
John, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Ari. Thanks for having me. Look, if I've said it once, I've said it a billion times. We need stories now more than ever. Now's the time to remember that American society is just as much a Hebraic project as a Greco-Roman one. It's Hebrew wisdom. It's the Bible that provides us with the images, the vocabulary, the stories, the values, the ideals that sustain us in aspiring to even greater virtue as a civilization. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the pod, then go ahead. Please be awesome. Head into Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. Five stars only. Because it really helps people find the show. Anyway, this is Ari Lamb making a good faith effort. I'll see you next time. Good Faith Effort was created and written by Ari Lamb. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Galad Brownstein. This is a Soul Shop podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at GFaithEffort. Follow Ari at Ari Lamb and sign up for our email list at soulshopstudios.com slash goodfaitheffort. For more information about Soul Shop, follow Soul Shop on Twitter at Soul Shop Studios and on Instagram at soulshop underscore studios. And check out soulshopstudios.com. Soul Shop Studios.